Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat, guys. Actually, before we get started, if you did not bring a Bible or something to take notes in tonight, on that back table, go ahead and jump up and go grab. There's a bunch of blue Bibles. You can grab one of those. If you need a Bible, don't have one at home, you can keep one of those Bibles. And there's actually a stack of blue notebooks so that you can take notes tonight and this week as we walk through what we're going to be talking about. And the reason I'm asking you guys to take notes is because we're going to be walking through a lot of Scripture this week, and I'm not going to read all of the verses we're going to talk about. And as we walk through Scripture, here's what I want you to always remember. I may get up here and you may hear me preach, or you may hear other preachers preach, but you need to always check what you heard from a platform when someone's talking about God's Word against what God's Word actually says. So this week as we walk through Scripture and I tell you, hey, this is found in the Bible in this verse, and this is found in the Bible in this book and chapter, I want to encourage you, write those references down and go back and look it up for yourself. I hope you can trust me to tell you what God's Word says, but I don't want you to trust me completely. I want you to look it up for yourself because I want you to know what God's Word says about who God is and how we can trust Him. So if you don't have one of those, make sure you get one. Are we out of those? Um, there may be some more in this closet right here. If we do have any more, they're going to be right there, and we can get some more of those. So tonight, as we jump into this, we're going to talk about this idea of God is. When you see the beginning of that sentence, what comes to mind? What, how do you finish that sentence? God is what? What's that? Say it again. Our what? Our Savior. Okay, God is our Savior. What's it? Oh, you have a cheat sheet? Well, then this should be really easy and no one should be quiet right now. He's our teacher. What's that? Okay. What else? Creator. God is what? Okay, some of you guys, you've never been here before. So let me tell you something about myself. You know how you have that teacher when you sit in their class and they ask you a question and they don't like that awkward silence so they immediately answer their own question? I'm not that guy. I don't mind awkward silence. So if I ask a question, I'm going to wait until somebody answers. So God, God's teacher, God's creator, what, are the, what is God? What's that? All-knowing? Yes. God is all-knowing. Omnipresent? Yes. Our Father? Good answer. Love? Who said that? Good job, Noah. What else is God? All-powerful? Jacob? God is perfect? Absolutely. Tugger? Righteous? Yes. Here's the reason I ask you that question. Because the way you finish that sentence says a lot about your relationship with God. And it says a lot about how you view God and how you view the way that God interacts in your life and in the lives of those people around you. You see, that's a very important question because every one of us has an idea of who God is, but my hope this week is that we will actually see not what our own idea of who God is, but what God's Word says about who He is. Because when we have a right understanding according to God's Word, not our own opinion of who God is, then we can know how we're supposed to relate to Him then we can know what it is He's done for each and every one of us. Then we can know what it looks like to truly worship God and live a life that honors Him. But if we don't know what God's Word says about that, then we're just basing who God is on our opinion or what somebody from a platform has told us. 
So that's why I want to encourage you guys, have your Bibles this week. Take notes so when you hear things from Scripture and you hear references that we don't stop and read through, you can go back and you can look at those things yourself. Every one of us in this room has an answer to that question. Even if you chose to remain silent tonight, even if you looked at that question and thought, well, I really don't know. Well, that's who God is in your life. And what I want you to understand is that God is all of these words that you maybe can or can't read, but none of that's based on our own opinion. All of that is based on the truth of Scripture. That's why it's important for us to know who God is. So that's what we're going to look at this week. And we're actually going to finish that sentence over the next three nights in three ways. Tonight, we're going to look at the fact that God is holy and what that means for our lives. Tomorrow night, we're going to look at the fact that God is just and righteous or righteous and just. I think I switched them up there. And then the last night on Wednesday, we're going to look at the fact that God is love. We live in a world that tells us love is God, and that's backward from what Scripture says. So tonight, God is holy. Let me ask you this. What does it mean to be holy? What's it mean? Set apart? That's a, that's a great answer. Yeah. Holy means to be set apart. And when we talk about this idea that God is holy, it means that God is set apart. His holiness makes Him unique. It means He's set apart from everything. As we walk through this tonight, we're going to see two very important things about God. The first one is this. God's holiness sets Him apart from all of creation. That means God is different than everything else in existence, especially every human being. God is set apart because of His holiness. And the second thing we're going to see about God's holiness is that His holiness is the standard for your life. So when we talk about this idea that God is set apart, that means, that means he's, God is pure. That means he's, he's perfect. That means He's not tainted or, or touched by anything outside of who He is. It's kind of like this. Okay, easy question here. What is this? Water. Good job, man. See, I'm giving you an easy one here. Is this, is this water clean? I mean, you don't know what I did to it, but uh, it's, this water came straight out of the faucet, okay? So there's, other than what our city has put into this water to make it clean, this water's clean. It, it's not tainted. There's nothing else in there, at least to our eyeball, there's nothing else in there. And this is what we kind of talk about when we say that God is set apart, God is holy, God is perfect, God is clean, God is untainted. There's nothing different about this. It is all one thing. It is what it is, and that's who God is. God is perfect. God is untainted. God is clean. God is pure. And to say that God is set apart, that means that nothing else interferes with who God is. The problem is, if I, if I take a drop like this, just one little drop, now, can you see that in there? Kind of, yeah, it depends on where I hold it, kind of. Now think about this for a second. God calls us in Scripture, He says, be holy as I am holy. And there's a lot of people that go to church every single week, and this is what they try to make their life look like. They try to make it look clean, like God is clean. But there's a big difference. Because no matter how clean it is from the outside, no matter how nice and pure it looks, if you get down to it, unlike God, 
we're all tainted by something. That one little drop is the sin that everyone has in our lives. And because of that one little thing, that sin problem that we have, we don't look like God. We're not holy like He is. See, that matters, guys, that, that we understand who we are in relationship to God because if God is set apart, if God is pure, if God is clean, if God is holy, then we are not. That means something for our lives. And that helps us start to understand how we're supposed to relate to Him. Scripture tells us that God is perfect. God is pure. In fact, in James, I think it's James 1.13, it actually says that God cannot be tempted by evil or tempted by sin. There's a big difference between us and God in there. Because every one of us in this room, we have things that tempt us. Things that we know that maybe aren't really the best thing for us. Maybe our mom and dad told us, hey, don't do this, don't go there, don't have these thoughts. And yet we do those things anyway because we're tempted by sin. And we're tempted by evil desires. And yet God is not. And that's why it matters that Scripture says He is holy. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at one example, one man in Scripture, and look at his interaction with God. We're going to be in the book of Exodus. So you can turn to that book. If you don't know where that is, you open up the beginning of your Bible, you see the book of Genesis. Keep flipping until you don't see that at the top of the page anymore, and you'll come to the second book, and that's Exodus. Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to be tonight. And we're going to look at a guy by the name of Moses. Now, if you're unfamiliar with who Moses is, Moses is a man that was born at a time when God's people, the nation of Israel, they were actually enslaved to the nation of Egypt. So that, that meant they, they worked for them, they served them, they were beaten by them, they, they were slaves. They basically were owned by the nation of Egypt. And something started happening, and the nation of Israel, even though they were slaves, they began to have more and more people. So they began to outnumber the Egyptian nation. And the Egyptians got so worried about that that the Pharaoh said, okay, they could outnumber us and they could take over our country. So we are going to do something about that. So the Pharaoh said, hey, take all of the male children that are born to the Israelites and you're going to throw them in the Nile River. So take all of those baby boys, kill them. And Moses was born when that was happening. But the problem is, Moses' mom was not on board for that plan. So through a series of events, Moses' mom manages to give birth to Moses, keep him secret, and through all of these crazy things that happen, if you will go back and read it, and I encourage you to go back and read it for yourself, Moses actually ends up, get this, in the house of Pharaoh, raised by Pharaoh's own daughter. So it's kind of like God saying, okay, Pharaoh, you came after me, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my guy right in your house. And as you watch, Moses begins to grow up. And as he grows up, he grows up as what's called a son of Egypt. Until one day some things happen and he kills somebody and he runs and Moses ends up being a shepherd. And while Moses is out shepherding some sheep, Moses sees something that is absolutely crazy and we would probably run away screaming if we saw it today. Let me read for you what that says in Genesis, excuse me, Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And this is where we see that God's holiness sets him apart from all of his creation. Exodus 3, verse 1 says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So Moses is out watching sheep, doing his job, and out of nowhere he sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And you guys know what that looks like. If you, if you light like a, a log on fire or leaves on fire, when you light them, do they just sit there like nothing's wrong? No, nah, they burn up. They turn into ash. Leaves, they float away and hopefully don't catch something else on fire. But they, they, they change. Moses has got to be a pretty laid-back guy because he looks at this bush and he says, huh, that bush is on fire. It's not burning up. I'm going to turn aside and go see what's happening. He's a pretty laid-back guy if he's looking at it. At this point, I'm looking at it going, what is going on right now? But he sees this bush and he goes over and he goes to look at it. And look at what happens in verse 4. It says, When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Okay, he's seen a bush that's not burning. And now he hears a voice out of the bush calling his name. And he says, I'm right here. Moses has got something crazy going on if this doesn't freak him out a little bit. I'm losing my mind running away at this point. But Moses, he's got to know something's happening here. And in verse 5, it says this, Then he said, this is God, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, don't miss what's happening here. God tells Moses two different things. The first thing he says is he says, Moses, don't come near. Moses, I understand. You saw the bush. You've heard my voice. Now that you know who I am, stay where you are. It almost sounds kind of threatening, doesn't it? I, I saw somebody posted on social media the other day, and I really like this quote. It says, when somebody tells you have a nice day, it sounds very friendly. But when somebody says enjoy your next 24 hours, Sounds kind of threatening, doesn't it? And that, that's kind of the way that, that God's speaking to Moses. He says, hey, don't come near. But then look at what he tells Moses next. He tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. We see God right away in his interaction with Moses. God is telling Moses about his own holiness. And he's showing Moses that his own holiness is something that separates Moses from God. Because God is holy, Moses is not supposed to come near to him because there's a separation, there's a set-apartness, there's a distinction in between who God is and who Moses is and really who we are. That very presence of God is in the burning bush and he says, Moses, keep your distance and take off your that matters for us. It's not just some story in the Old Testament. That matters for us because that's a great picture of what we just talked about here a few minutes ago. When there was nothing in this water, it's a clear picture of who God is. This water looks very different than before we put the food coloring in. And because it looks very different, it's separate from what it was. God is telling Moses, you're not the same as I am. Moses, you're not holy like I'm holy. 
Yes, you may follow me. Yes, you may know who I am, but you are not who I am. That matters for you and I because many times we may use those words or even recognize that God is holy, but we fail to recognize the fact that we are not. That we are separated from who God is because of the fact that God is holy. Scripture tells us that in Romans 3.23. It tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person in creation, your sweet little grandmother that you can't wait to hug every time you see her is a sinner just like you are, just as the worst murderer in history. Every one of us is affected by sin, and that sin puts a separation between us and God because God is set apart by and because of his holiness. And then God goes on here in the same passage in verses 7 through 11, and he begins to tell Moses the plans that he has for him. He says, Moses, you're going to go back to the nation of Egypt. Moses, you're going to bring your people, my people, the Israelite nations, nation out of Egypt. And then something very important happens in verse 12. Listen to this. He said, this is God again, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. That last part matters greatly because as you read through the account of the Israelites leaving Egypt over the next 16 chapters in the book of Exodus, what you find out as you come to the end of that, you begin to see is that God does exactly what he's promised to do. God goes back to Egypt. He speaks to Pharaoh on the behalf of the Israelite nation. And in doing so, God begins to use Moses and through a series of God's power doing different things in that nation, plagues is what Scripture tells us. God does exactly what He promises to do and He brings the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And then as we pick up in Exodus chapter 19, we find the nation of Israel right back at the mountain that God spoke of in verse 12. 16 chapters later, Years later, that promise that God made to Moses in chapter 3, verse 12, you will be here at this mountain again. That is exactly where God brings them back. And when he does that, you know what we see? We see God's holiness separating him from humanity again. Exodus 19, starting in verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And look at this in verse 12. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So God has told Moses, you're here, you're at this burning bush, but don't come any closer because you're on holy ground. And now years later, God uses Moses to bring the Israelite nation back to that exact same mountain and God says you're here like I said you would be here but you still need to stay apart 
because we still see that God's holiness separates him from all of his creation. God cannot be in the presence of sin, and yet every single person in humanity is infected by it. And it's not a disease that you and I can get rid of. It's something that's a part of who we are when we are born. And because of that, God says, stay back. And yet as you continue to watch through here, you start to see that there's a distinction and this matters for us because when you understand that God is holy, you come to the realization that you are not, that I am not, that no one is. And that's important because too often we begin to approach God in kind of a casual manner. You'll hear people praying and sometimes it's, sometimes it's kind of funny. Somebody will say, Daddy God. Or you'll see a t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And, and we look at those and think, yeah, that's pretty cool. But phrases like that forget the fact that God is holy. God is set apart. God is something that we are not. Proverbs 10.9, or excuse me, Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I need to understand that fear kind of has two sides to it. That fear is, yes, we're kind of scared because of who God is. But that fear is not just a trembling fear that God's going to wipe me off of the face of the earth. That fear is an awe of who God is. That fear is a respect of His power and His presence and His holiness. Scripture tells us that's the beginning of wisdom. And when we ignore that fact, the fact that God is holy, and that that means He's not like you and I, then we begin to forget that we are not like God we begin to think we can do the things that God does. And we are the one who sets the purpose and focus for our life. And we are the one that we are living to honor every single day. And we begin to put ourselves in the place of God and who He's supposed to be in our lives. We forget that God is perfect, God is holy, God is not tempted by sin. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, and again, I told you, I'm not going to read every one of these verses. We're going to reference a lot of them. In Isaiah chapter 6, in uh, verse 3, I believe it is, we see that, that Isaiah is talking about the fact that he's in the throne room of God and the angels are flying around the throne of God. And in chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, you need to pay attention to that verse, and let me tell you why. Because that is the only time in all of Scripture where one word is used more than once in a row to describe who God is. The only one. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We don't use words over and over unless they're important. Unless they mean something. Unless there's significance to it. And God's word always has significance to it. And in verse 5, Isaiah shows his understanding of how God's holiness separates him from God. Isaiah chapter, or chapter 6, verse 5 says this, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, the holiness of God tells us, stay back. Stay away from His presence. Here's the significant thing. That same holiness of God, while it tells us to stay back, also says, come closer. And I know that sounds crazy. That sounds confusing. 
But that's exactly what Scripture shows us. Because if the holiness of God separates us from Him, that same holiness of God sets the standards for our lives, and you can't follow that standard of God without drawing near to Him. We're going to keep going in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And these may be some verses that you're familiar with, but follow along with me. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall never, excuse me, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gate. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Separation. And said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Who in here knows what we typically call that passage? What do we see there? Ten Commandments. If you go back in Scripture, God at the very beginning when he created Adam and Eve, how many rules, how many guidelines did he give that couple? One. Did they keep it? No. So then God gave his people how many guidelines? Ten. Did they keep it? No. They didn't. You know why? Because we are not holy. Because we can't meet God's expectations, and yet God is the one who sets the standards for our lives because of His holiness. Those ten commandments, what God was doing there is God was saying, you are my people. If you are going to follow me, if you are going to live a life that honors me, here are the ways you can do that. So in order for them to follow God, to know God, they had to draw near to God through what God told them to do and not do. His holiness said, stay away, but His holiness also said, you need to come closer to me because if you don't come closer to me, you're never going to live a life that honors me. That's what God is doing here in this passage. 
And as you go through and read throughout Scripture, you'll see time and time again, the Scripture tells us we're supposed to pursue God and pursue His holiness. Write these verses down. Leviticus 11, 44 through 45. Leviticus 19, verse 2. Leviticus 20, 26. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. Every single one of those verses, you will find these words, be holy for I am holy. God says over and over and over, pursue my holiness. Pursue me. So his holiness separates him from all of us and all of creation, and yet his holiness is still the standard that we are supposed to pursue because that is the standard that God has set for our lives because he is the only one that is holy. Now here's what you and I tend to do. We tend to measure our standard for our lives not against God, but against everybody else around us, don't we? You know, we look around and, and we think, well, I'm not as bad as they are. Or at least I didn't do or say that. Or hey, at least my life doesn't look like theirs. And we begin to think that, that we are the standard for what God expects. We are the standard for holiness. And the problem is, when you look at Scripture, Scripture tells us it doesn't matter what we think our lives look like compared to everybody else's. It matters that our lives look like a train wreck just like everybody else's when you look at it through the eyes of God. Because it's all sin. It's all dishonoring to who God is. And that's why God's holiness matters in our lives because you discover very quickly that your standards or the standards of anyone else around you fall short of who God is. And that's why it's God's holiness that makes Him worthy of our worship. His holiness separates Him from all of creation. It cautions us to stay away, and at the same time it says, come near and pursue my holiness. It beckons you to draw near to Him, to know Him, to be forgiven by Him, to belong to Him, to be holy as He is holy. It's God's perfect holiness that calls you to put your faith and your trust in Him. That's what Scripture tells us, to be forgiven of that sin that separates us from who God is. And if you're here tonight and you've never looked at God as holy, but you're starting to see it, God is separate from who you are because He is holy. And yet He calls you to live a life that honors Him. He sets the standard for your life. Not what society tells you. Not what your parents tell you unless they're telling you to follow God. And not what you're telling yourself. It's God that sets that standard. And if you're here tonight and you've never asked God to forgive you of your sin, you've never made it your life's purpose to pursue Him and to be holy as He is holy, you can do that tonight. Scripture tells us it's as easy as saying that, God, I'm a sinner, and these are my words. You don't have to use my words. You can use your own words. God, I'm a sinner, and I can't fix it. I cannot be holy as you are holy. But I know Jesus died on the cross for me. And He paid the price that Scripture says is owed for my sin. And I want to be forgiven. And I want to follow you with my life. I want to pursue your 
holy. If that's you tonight, you can start that pursuit right here, right now. In a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing one more song. And if you've got questions about that or you want to talk to somebody about that, I'm going to be standing right over here by the window. Or talk to one of the other adults in this room and we would love to talk to you about the holiness of God and how you can begin pursuing Him tonight. But I want to tell you this. I want to caution you. I want to encourage you. Don't waste another second pursuing anything. Anything that doesn't show you the holiness of God. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are holy. And God, that your holiness should should cause us to worship you. God, I pray that we see you that way. God, I pray that every one of us sees you that way. Help us as we step into this time of singing as part of our worship. Help us to understand that you are holy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's